This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Outer Blue Talks Research, knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello, and welcome to a special two-part podcast package on the investment outlook for 2024 with me, Swaha Patnaik. One part focuses on our predictions for developed economies and markets, and you can find that on your preferred podcast platform. In this one, we're going to dive into what lies ahead for China, India, and emerging markets. Joining me today to do just that are Vincent Mortier, Amundi's Group CIO. Hello. Hello, Vincent. And Yelan Sizdikov, the Global Head of Emerging Markets. Thanks for joining us, Yelan. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Vincent, EM obviously covers a very heterogeneous group of countries. Having said that, perhaps you could give us your overarching view of the economic outlook for this group and how it compares with their developed counterparts. Sure. Indeed, uh, emerging markets more than ever is a very scattered universe with uh, realities on the ground which are uh, diverse and communities between countries uh, which are uh, not that great, so we need to have this reality in mind, but uh, nevertheless, it's uh, fair to say that um, uh, our um, gross prospects for, uh, for emerging markets are um, relatively better than for developed markets. Uh, of course, uh, emerging markets will uh, decelerate um, a little bit uh, and will uh, won't be immune from the global slowdown we are uh, forcing uh, next year in the world. But our own forecast on average hein, for emerging markets GDP growth next year is uh, 3.6% coming from 4%. So we are still uh, on average uh, on uh, well into expansion territory while on uh, developed markets we are more heading towards uh, stagnation or even a mild recession. So the differential um, uh, gap of growth between developed and emerging is in fact uh, widening. And it is one of the reasons, not only, uh, why we uh, we like uh, at large uh, emerging market as an investment case. And of course, Ireland will, uh, will elaborate further on, uh, on, on some reasons. Absolutely. Let me just ask you, given the somewhat, you know, gradual slowdown that you're expecting, do you also see inflation coming down and the possibility of monetary policy easing in some of these countries? Well, what is very striking is um, emerging markets uh, have been uh, leading the charge in terms of uh, adjustment of monetary policy and fight against inflation. The Fed and um, all the more ECB uh, typically have been very late to this game. And in fact, uh, emerging markets, uh, for most of them, uh, of course, there are nuances, have already uh, seen some uh, concrete results of these policies. And as a result, we we are more constructive uh, on the on the rate cycle in emerging markets, and um, and, and and the policies which has been uh, followed are also providing some leeways for the future. And some ammunitions, which uh, which are welcomed, and I would say today, uh, most emerging markets are in better position in on this front than uh, the USA or uh, the UK or Europe. 
Oh, that's really interesting. Yelan, let me turn to you about the investment implications, given what Vincent said, but also the backdrop that he's mentioned about the Fed and ECB being later than some EM countries to the easing game. We are, however, next year expecting a Fed rate cut around the middle of next year, a mild recession in the US economy and a weaker dollar. With that international backdrop and the EM outlook, what are you looking for in the investment front? Yes, we indeed are very positive on emerging market debt next year and specifically looking at two halves, the year of two halves, as we say, where uh, in a, in the first half of uh, next year we're looking at following the fed pivot uh, on the hard currency debt as uh, core rates are going down uh, and obviously ecb as well uh, and that will help uh, to attract more flows into emerging market hard currency debt because it is attractive from a yield perspective we're looking at nine percent plus type of yield to maturity uh, so it is an attractive as a carry trade, but also it is an attractive uh, place to play, uh, to have a leverage play on uh, the uh, core rates easing next year. Uh, so for us, uh, there's limited uh, amount of spread compression for the next year from the hard currency perspective. Maybe we're looking at 20, 25 basis points. So it's very moderate. Where we're actually going to benefit from is the uh, drop in core rates that will help emerging markets to perform better and delivering higher carry uh, simultaneously. So I think that's a very good space to be. Of course, we're looking at that incremental improvement in spreads coming mostly from idiosyncratic stories in a high yield and distressed space. So it's not a broad base uh, uh, cheapness of uh, emerging markets as we see now uh, where we have a fair valued uh, investment grade bonds, but there is a little bit of space in uh, in uh, higher yielding uh, countries. Um, and we're looking at uh, uh, second half of the year, uh, which where potentially uh, we will see stronger appetite for emerging market local currency debt simply because we're looking at the fed uh, starting cutting rates and that uh, will imply um, dollar weakness Uh, and as vansan and monica earlier said that that potentially could bring in uh, attractiveness of uh, emerging market local currency debt uh, which if you really look at this year has performed better than hard currency debt uh, but better on the, on the side of the uh, rates because we've seen the easing cycle starting uh, in earnest in some countries that have been uh, actually increasing rates aggressively, specifically in Latin American context. Uh, and they have started the easing cycle uh, this year. So that will continue next year. Uh, and that already played out, I think, in all priced in uh, uh, already by the market. So the incremental uh, uh, incremental gains that we see are going to be in EM effects rather than in EM rates, which are actually lower than hard currency uh, rates today. So it's not really showing uh, a screaming uh, buy uh, at the moment. And of course, uh, for what is important for us as we uh, are uh, global leaders in emerging market uh, green investments we're looking at that area of uh, uh, of the market also to shine to perform better as we're also seeing increasing interest uh, towards that and that greenium uh, that we're, we're talking about will will also reflect uh, the uh, the fact that demand is outstripping 
uh, a supply of uh, green bonds in emerging markets. So that's the area also where we believe is going to be attractive for the next year to play. That's really interesting. And just on that point, I think supply was increasing from EM green bonds already. So the fact demand's going to outstrip supply is really interesting, uh, as you say. Um, Yelan, may I ask you about the equity space in EM? Yes, uh, the we were discussing the year of two halves. Of course, the first half where we're seeing uh, a synchronized, I, c- I can say, uh, retreat in terms of growth globally. Uh, if we, I were to draw a parallel with what... Uh, we say in fixed income, it's going to be the case from the growth perspective of um, uh, 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 bear steepening. Uh, where what I mean by that is that we will have the increasing delta of growth, but of course in a bearish environment, not because emerging market growing and developed market growing, but emerging market outgrowing significantly. This is the the, the year where we're going to see the deceleration of growth for both. Uh, um, uh, emerging and developed, but relatively speaking, less of a deceleration uh, in e- emerging. So I think in this kind of environment, typically we, we're we not looking for a, uh, a very strong performance of emerging markets versus developed markets equity. But of course, we, we have idiosyncratic stories and we will talk about it maybe later when we talk about some uh, implications on uh, of the fundamental picture in larger uh, economies in the emerging world. But what we are positioning for next year uh, from the year of two halves is that the first half we will be looking to be more defensive on the growth side. We're more positioning ourselves into the value. And I think in the second half of the year, when we start seeing the effect of a stimulus on the global side, as we believe that the rates a rate cut cycle in in in, uh, in in core markets will also spur growth in the second half of, of next year, and similarly, what we have already started doing in terms of easing monetary policy in some areas in emerging markets, specifically more so in Latin America, will start giving uh, us uh, uh, as well a boost in growth terms. So I think that this is the second half of the year where we see uh, the stronger demand for emerging market uh, exports. Uh, and we also see a much uh, stronger domestic picture in the second half of the year. Um, first half of the year, interestingly enough, we think that the resilience, the value is in China, uh, which we were looking at uh, with uh, high hopes this year from the uh, uh, post-COVID recovery. It didn't really play out in, in the way that we expected, but we believe that next year it will be more of a defensive st- story. Uh, uh, compared to other places that have really done well this year, especially in Latin America. So I think that would be the place where we'll be hiding uh, first half of the year. And second half of the year, we're also looking at the residual effect coming into other areas of the market, uh, other parts of Asia, as well as uh, CIMIA. Of course, within CIMIA, we have uh, a very strong pivot within, within Eastern European bloc towards the uh, monetary policy and fiscal policies uh, in the European Union. Um, so it will be very, uh, uh, very much tuned in with uh, uh, with what we're doing on the European core markets and the equity side. Whereas, of course, the part of the um, cycle that has been 
extremely, extremely positive in the past couple of years was in MENA. So uh, we're looking at those countries specifically that are exporters of oil that have really benefited from significant amount of uh, fiscal expansion and also, of course, uh, benefited from a very positive shock on the uh, balance of payment side due to the high commodity prices and specifically oil and gas. So I think this is going to be the area for us to also see a lot of value. Um, and uh, um, the India, I think we will talk more about India a bit later. And this is the area that we know that it's going to uh, develop and it's been growing um, um, significantly. This is the area which is fairly valid on, on one side. On the other side, the prospects of, of growth are conti continuous, continuously uh, stronger. So I think we will uh, we will allow ourselves to uh, to be bullish again this year. Uh, uh, sorry, next year as we were the, uh, in the in the year uh, um, before. So we we will talk about India perhaps later when we talk about uh, bigger countries um, uh, during our conversation. Absolutely. Um, let's start with one of the countries and big economic heavyweights globally that you've just mentioned earlier, Yelan. Um, Vincent, turning to you about the outlook for Chinese growth. Yelan's given us a little bit of a flavor. Perhaps you could drill down into Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And, and, and China is too big to ignore, uh, indeed. China has been an unloved uh, story, uh, I would say, as well a misunderstood story. So um, uh, investors are hugely underweight China uh, on equities and, 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 and bonds. And we think it's a big mistake. Um, China growth, of course, um, is uh, decelerating. Our, our own forecast is for the next years for China growth to be around 3.5 to 4%. So well under the, the previous trends, but it is still 3.5 to 4, which is not nothing. And we'll be happy to have this in some uh, other countries. And more importantly, the, um, the composition or the nature of the growth is, um, is changing a lot. So it is not anymore at all about uh, real estate, typically. Real estate is a big negative contributor to GP growth. It's not anymore about uh, ultra cheap exports uh, to uh, to the West. It's now more about energy transition, technology, innovation, biotech, electrical vehicles, and as well, a revamping of the industrial production onshore in order to substitute some imports by uh, locally produced uh, high quality goods. So um, it's a very different um, uh, growth, better quality with corporates uh, and driven by corporates, not by state-owned enterprises, hein, really by private corporates, which for most of them are quoted. And um, and, 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 and it's, uh, we should not underestimate the willingness of the authorities to, to continue to sustain this uh, change of uh, growth uh, nature and uh, and, uh, and and to to invest into uh, strategic uh, sectors uh, and also to fight against uh, inequalities is totally in sync with the common prosperity program so you've got uh, better growth uh, more stable growth and uh, at a time where uh, the market, uh, in particular on equities, is the cheapest in the world. 
I mean, we are talking about uh, 10 times earnings. So you've, when you've got such kind of uh, interesting uh, corporate sector with such gross prospects of earnings, I mean, uh, investors should be happy to buy it at 10 times. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned some of the government sort of uh, direction, if you like, of the overarching economy when it comes to the key sectors. What about overall policy stimulus? Because that's been a little more fine-tuned perhaps than we've yes. been expected in the past. What are you looking for? Yes, in these um, change authorities, um, uh, they have a strategic uh, medium-long-term view huh, and, and planning. Their first priority has been to stabilize uh, the real estate market. Stabilize, it does not mean deploying a huge stimulus uh, to support everybody. So it's just to avoid a systemic risk. And so far, they, have, they did uh, quite a good job. Next uh, in, the, in, in the queue is um, local authorities, some local government local authorities, Which, which are too leveraged and which have had some very bad uh, uh, financial situation and that are being, in a way, taken over by the Chinese authorities. Uh, and so the burden will be also uh, uh, shared. Um, and, 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 and so all these interventions are very targeted in order to keep some uh, ammunitions uh, going forward and to have this uh, medium-long-term uh, uh, planning of things. So um, the policy which is, uh, which is underway is, uh, is not about uh, putting on the table a super large stimulus. Um, it won't be in the long-term interest of the country. And as such, China is probably different from what we have seen in other countries. And I would say, on a medium-long-term perspective, it is probably a smart way to proceed. Yana, let me turn to you about the other Asian economic heavyweight, India. You mentioned it earlier. I think you're expecting Indian growth to outpace China's in 2024. What are you looking for and what are the areas of strength for the Indian economy? Indeed, we're looking at um, Indian growth outpacing Chinese not only next year, but for, for some years to come, as we're seeing structural Uh, uh, tailwinds for Indian economy uh, being there and uh, albeit of course uh, slowing next year compared to this year looking at 6% growth in 2024 versus 6.5% uh, we're forecasting for this year uh, we still believe that this is just a, a multi-year uh, positive story of transformation of Indian economy and replacement uh, of the global and emerging market growth engine, uh, so shifting gears from China now to India over the next decade. So this is really uh, the very bullish story that we, we have been talking about, about India uh, for some time. So I think uh, looking at specifics of uh, India, I already touched upon the valuation, maybe India does look fairly valued from the uh, uh, equity side, but looking at the multi-year expansion on earnings side, we still believe that this gives us a lot of uh, uh, enthusiasm enthusiasm about Indian assets. Um, of course, we're looking at uh, uh, fixed income in India and the big great news is that next year, India 
will be represented in the major uh, fixed income uh, index in uh, local currency, uh, in GBI. So I think this is going to be also another additional uh, impetus for investors to look at Indian assets, specifically on the fixed income side, and that should really bring demand uh, for Indian uh, uh, fixed income assets by approximately uh, 20 billion or so. So this is what the index inclusion will bring in terms of flows into Indian market. So we're very positive, of course. Uh, looking at, at the policy uh, side, we're, we're looking at continuation on the budgetary side of um, expansion into investments. Uh, uh, so it's going to be investment-led growth. Uh, um, and we're, of course, looking at the uh, monetary policy uh, staying uh, put by and large because we're not really seeing yet the emergence of reasons why the RBI, uh, the Indian Central Bank, would be moving and looking at cutting uh, uh, interest rates uh, given the inflation cycle uh, we are in today and inflation is uh, forecast to stay at the upper range of the RBI's um, target. So I think we're not really seeing that opportunity uh, yet, but in the second half of 2024, potentially we may see good news on inflation and potentially also starting to price in at that stage uh, potential cuts uh, uh, in, a, in a later part of the next year. Of course, the, this comes not with uh, without any risks. We know that in the emerging world, we always have surprises and one of the biggest risks, of course, is that over the next month, we're going to just start uh, the multi-month process of the uh, Indian elections. Uh, whereas we do not see any significant challenge to Modi uh, next year, from the political perspective, of course, the political volatility is always going to be uh, uh, at the forefront of investors' sentiment. So the, we expect volatility to be higher uh, than, than usual for Indian assets. Uh, so I think that's that's what what what's going to also have uh, an impact on how investors will look at Indian assets next year. Thank you, Yelan. Vincent, Yelan was talking about surprises from politics. Let me t- ask you about surprises, perhaps from a different uh, source, geopolitics. Uh, we've had a lot of shocks to the global economy uh, last year. Uh, we've seen investors have to deal with the war in Ukraine um, aftermath. This year, we're seeing a flare-up of Middle East tensions, and there's a geopolitical realignment that's going on. But there are beneficiaries as well of this more fractured geopolitical landscape in EM. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, sure. Um, geopolitics uh, is something you cannot ignore uh, anymore when uh, building your portfolios. The world is uh, more scattered, more tensed. There are some uh, lots of fluid actions coming. And uh, indeed, there, there will be some uh, losers and winners. We used to talk about offshoring. So forget about offshoring. Now we're talking about nearshoring and friendshoring. And that's very important. At a time where uh, typically um, developed uh, countries like US or Europe are trying to reduce dependency or to turn away from China and Russia. China itself uh, trying to be less dependent on some uh, on some countries uh, in terms of supply. Um, so we we as a side effect, it benefits some countries which are either close 
to these countries, uh, buyers or producers. So uh, for sure, for the US, uh, Mexico is a winner. It's a natural winner. In Asia, uh, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia are also a clear winner from diversification away from China and from China, actually, both. both. As then for Europe, uh, Ma Ma uh, Mar uh, Morocco or Turkey are also uh, should also benefit from, from, uh, from this trend. Um, what is also very interesting is in most of these countries, in fact, the countries which are uh, being challenged are the ones who invest the most in these new supply chains. So typically, if you go to South Asia, the biggest investor in these new production capabilities is in fact China itself. So in a way, for the China Inc., or China Corporate, this kind of diversification uh, led by uh, either China or uh, the US uh, is at the end of the day benefiting uh, China corporates. And uh, we can say the same uh, in Mexico, there are lots of US interests, of course, uh, involved. So the reality is, of course, more blurred, hein, as usual. Um, uh, but nevertheless, for these countries, it's a big support. And we also need to keep in mind that geopolitics uh, will, um, uh, if it is worsening, which is not what we should hope for, but unfortunately, it is what we can expect. Geopolitics uh, tensions will bring more volatility and higher prices for commodities, energy, of course, but also metals. And uh, there are some countries which are um, big producers of such commodities, in particular in Latin America, which will also benefit from it. So the geopolitical disorder or reorder uh, is not um, by nature a negative at large for all emerging markets. Um, the situation is more subtle. And uh, uh, on the margin, we can say that uh, probably it's more positive for the emerging market complex than for the, f from, for the developed markets. Thank you, Vincent. Vincent Yerlan, unfortunately, we're out of time. It's never long enough to talk through all the ideas, but thank you for laying out the EM outlook so clearly and putting in some of the nuances in there. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in this month. Join us again soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2014-65-EU, dated 15 May 2014, as amended from time to time on markets and financial instruments called MIFID II. Views are those of the author and not necessarily Amundi Asset Management SAS. They are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice, as a security recommendation, or as an indication of trading for any Amundi products or any other security fund units, or services. Past performance is not a guarantee or indicative of future results.